This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This episode of Radiolab is supported by Stitcher Smart Radio, offering the Stitcher mobile app. With Stitcher's free app for mobile phones, listeners can get the latest episodes of Radiolab, NPR, and thousands of other podcasts on demand without downloading or syncing. The free Stitcher Smart Radio mobile app can be found in the iPhone or Android app stores or at stitcher.com slash radiolab. Oh, wait, you're listening. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. <coughs> you're listening, listening to Radiolab. Radiolab. Shorts! From <laughs> WNYC. <laughs> and NPR. Hey, I'm Jad Abumrad. I'm Robert Krilwich. This is Radio Lab, the podcast. And uh, this week on the podcast, we did a, a collaborative thing with our friends at On the Media, mm-hmm. a wonderful show produced here at WNYC. We decided to give them a headache. Right. It was a very provocative idea brought to us by Jonah Lehrer, yeah. one of our regular contributors, and we just couldn't get it out of our heads. It was such Spooky. It, yes. It begins with the work of uh, a psychology professor, Jonathan Schooler, yep. who many years ago, to great acclaim, got a bunch of people in a room together, and he had them watch a video. They basically watch this bank robber uh, walk into a bank, and he hands a note to the clerk, and he says, don't press the alarm, and you won't get hurt. Clerk then hands him uh, some money, and he exits. And these people watching the video, do they get a good look at the guy? You get a... Straight on look at the bank robber, absolutely. And here was the test. After everybody watched this thing, he had half the subjects, only half. Write down in as much detail for five minutes everything they could remember about the appearance of the bank robber. So they'd write, you know... Curly brown hair, mustache, thick glasses, whatever it was. Yeah, they just described the guy that they'd just seen. Now, only half of them did this. The other half did nothing. And then later, he had all the subjects look at a police lineup and try and identify the robber. Pick the bank robber. See if you can pick him. Yeah. Now, you would think that the people who had to describe the guy right after seeing him the first time, they would do really well at this, you know, because they had kind of set the memory. Yeah. But that's not what they found. We found those people who had been asked to describe the face in great detail, they were actually less good at recognizing the face than if they didn't engage in any description at all. Not just a little less good. They were like 30 or 40% less good. So it, it was pretty whopping. Whopping and just odd. Yeah, even more odd is that as he did more studies, he found it wasn't just a face thing. It happens when you're trying to remember all kinds of stuff. We found the effect with colors. We found it later on with tastes. Choices. The effect was so strong and in so many different places that he gave it a name. Verbal overshadowing. Verbal, the words, overshadow the truth. Yeah. So there's some association here is when you talk about it, you get it wrong. Exactly so. And we should say these studies uh, made Schooler into kind of a rock star. Yeah, it did get, it got some press uh, at the time. and He appeared everywhere, really. Including on a little show called Radio Lab. He was even here. And this is where our story really begins, because just as people like us were getting very excited about his work, the data 
began to go a little funny on him. That's right. And it all began when he tried to replicate that original experiment. Yes. Well, As you kept doing it, what happened? Well, uh, over the years, over the next five or six years, when I attempted to do it again, I would get the effect, but not to the same degree that I did initially. And and this is this is a little troubling for him. That's Jonah Lair, a science writer, one of our contributing editors. He turned us on to this story, and it went like this, he says. The first time Schooler tries to replicate that study, that effect? Falls by 30%. And so he tried it again and again. And as we kept trying to replicate this study, the effect size got smaller and smaller and smaller. Meaning that big difference between the people who wrote about the bank robber and got it wrong and people who didn't write about the bank robber and they got it right, that big difference began to decline. This slow downward trajectory. It did sort of gradually uh, get smaller. It wasn't as if uh, all of a sudden it it disappeared. Now it's still significant. It's still publishable, but it's not nearly as exciting as it was that first time. So, as you can imagine, Jonathan Schoolers was sitting in, in his office and he was like, what is happening here? I mean, it was so good the yeah. first time and then it started to fade. He's a very good experimental psychologist. So he's not sloppy or anything. No, so he's thinking, what's happening here? And the first theory he has to really wrestle with is something known as regression to the mean. Huh. I mean, those are three of the most uninspired yeah. words put together. Yeah. <laughs> They're four words, though. It's regression to the yeah. mean. But Jonah, can you make it concrete for us? Sure. So you flip a coin, right? Let's say you'll flip a coin ten times. You may get eight heads and two tails. And you may say, oh my gosh, I've discovered a new law of coin flipping. When I flip coins in this room, they are almost always heads. But if you kept on flipping that coin for, say, a thousand times, your data would show, almost certainly, unless you really had discovered something very peculiar about that room, the results would get closer to the true result, which is about 50%. The results would regress to the mean. <laughs> Sorry, in any case, his first thought was maybe that's what's going on here. Yeah. Meaning? When we first did the study, for whatever reason, we got lucky or unlucky as the case may be. You, you saw an outlier. Exactly. That reality is full of quirky surprises we can't explain. But over time, and this is the miracle of the scientific process, you, you regress to the true effect size. But one thing about the regression to the mean account is it doesn't really explain why the effects gradually get smaller. Regression to the mean, you predict one big effect, and then it should basically uh, totter around the actual uh, value. This gradual decline doesn't naturally fall out of the regression to the mean account. Yeah, I mean, the effect could just go away, in which case you knew you were wrong. But why would it slowly get worse? Well, one possible explanation is that there was some aspect to the procedure that was important that we never really realized was important, and somehow we were gradually not including whatever that secret ingredient was. Meaning, you know, as a scientist, when you try and do an experiment, you try and do it the same way every time, down to the to the floss that you floss your teeth with before you did the experiment. But there are too many things that you may not pay attention to. Yeah, there might be some little thing off into the side that you're not even thinking about. It could have been the color of the room in which he was conducting the experiments. It could have been how charming his grad student was, who was actually asking the students to describe the bank robber. Totally making up a story here. Mm -hmm. Let's say that grad student was so charming, so good looking, so charismatic that he distracted the students. Then that grad student goes off, leaves the lab. Now he's got a much less exciting grad student. It's not nearly as 
distracting, and now the effect size of verbal overshadowing has gone down. The only problem with that is that that little sound that Jed and I made means that you have to have your charming grad student at the beginning and your less charming grad student in the middle and your even less charming grad student on your back. Yeah, they have to get slowly less charming. That's right. And so if you're thinking something is changing here. What is it? What is it? What is it? Did you go on some kind of mad search to figure out what you might be doing differently? We tried lots, a lot of different things. And uh, in the end, I just moved to uh, another area of research. (laughs) (laughs) You got out of town. And apparently, uh, one of Schooler's colleagues told him, Don't worry about it. The only mistake you made was trying to replicate it in the first place. Really? Yeah. But, uh... Here's the problem. Turns out it's not just me who has experienced this peculiar decline effect. As he started to look around, he realized what was happening to him was happening all over the place. Other scientists in all kinds of other sciences were having the exact same problem. In biology, there was a a meta-analysis of many different biological uh, findings showing... There are a ton of examples, he says, and here's one. In the 90s, there were a bunch of studies about uh, animals using symmetry to find mates, like birds, females, female birds choosing their sexual partners based on how even the male's tail feathers were. It was a very exciting idea. And the first year, there were eight tests of it. And all eight found that, yep, fluctuating asymmetry, that's what the phenomenon is called, is real. We also got an effect size. So it seemed true. Yeah, that all over the world and all these different species, females had evolved this unconscious tendency to prefer symmetrical males. The next year, it's tested 12 times, and 9 of the 12 confirm it. And then things start to fall apart. You can make the sound effect. Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) Until by the end of the 90s, you're going 1 for 13. Um, One for 13? One one for 13. Now, of course, these studies are not black and white, yes, no studies. There's some gradation. But this was the basic trend that Jonah saw. And just in case birds seem a little distant, here's another example. And I think this is, for me, the most troubling um, area of the decline effect. Um, Because you see, like, second-generation antipsychotics. Second-generation antipsychotics. These are drugs used to treat people with schizophrenia, Bipolar. When they first came out in the late 80s, early 90s, some studies found that they were about twice as effective than first-generation antipsychotics. Hmm, Um, And then what happened is the standard story of the decline effect. Cue the sound effect, um, which is which is clinical trial after clinical trial. The effect size just slowly started to fall apart. And uh, that's not all. You see a similar decline with things like Prozac um, and antidepressants. The effect of the drugs have gotten weaker, but the placebo effect has also gotten stronger. Um, I was talking to one guy at a drug company who, he was kind of interesting. He blamed that on drug advertising. He said that they started to see their placebo effect go up in the late 90s when these drug companies started advertising. But then wouldn't that actually offer an explanation for this decline thing? Because, you know, some if you know about what this drug is supposed to do, maybe it works differently somehow? Uh, certainly there are areas of um, psychology where that can change the outcome in, in one way or another. Mm. But uh, it's very unlikely that, you know, in, say, these female preferences for symmetrical feathers that, the, you know, the birds got wind of this symmetry finding and now all of a sudden they're not, not into it anymore. I don't know. And you haven't been around chickadee conversation yes. lately. Word passes quickly amongst the chickadees. And so does that mean that you, can you explain why what you found at the beginning is not what you find now? And why it, why it gradually yeah, why went it gradually away. Went why away. It, the gradually is still puzzling. I tell you, it, I find it very puzzling too. 
I'm personally uh, baffled. It's tough to come up with an all-purpose explanation or some easy fix. It could be a lot of different things bundled together into one phenomenon, he says. You know, maybe in some cases it really is statistics. Regression to the mean is almost sure to be a part of it. Or maybe in some cases it's, you know. This gradual change in the procedure and something that we just don't know what it was that happened. Can't rule it out. But I would probably be less shocked than most people if something unconventional was actually involved in this as well. Unconventional like? Like, I, I say this uh, with uh, some trepidation, but I think we can't rule out the possibility that there could be some way in which uh, the act of observation is actually changing the nature of reality. That somehow, in the process of observing effects, we change the nature of those effects. Oh, you're in real trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially what he's saying, we think, is that when he discovered that thing with the bank robber experiment, that maybe the discovery itself somehow set in motion a series of events that made the thing he discovered start to sort of run away. Well, I'm not going to say that. I'm certainly not going to say that there's some sort of intentionality to these effects uh, disappearing. More that it's almost... And again, this is just uh, speculation, some sort of habituation. So just as when you put your hand on your leg, you feel it. And then as you leave it there, it becomes less and less uh, noticeable. Somehow there may be some kind of habituation that happens in with respect to these findings. But what is that, the hand and what is the leg in, 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 <laughs> in this? Well, in, in, in this most radical conjecture, there could be some sort of collective consciousness that's habituating. Again, radical speculation. Keep in mind, the notion that the laws of reality are uh, unchangeable is an assumption. It's a reasonable assumption, but we don't know it for a fact. And there have been uh, physicists who have even speculated that perhaps the rules change as time goes on. The problem with this idea is if you really believe it, then you can never really know anything. We're sliding into that kind of territory. (laughs) Like, you know, by this logic, you could never really know for sure yes. because reality could change based upon the observer's position, habits, biases, information, whatever. Well, so far we have not really seen these types of things in the domain of, of physics, but, you know, an aspirin might not do what it used to. Huh. There's a question that you haven't uh, asked, which is, let's say that we were to do a, a study and demonstrate this decline effect that when you keep running experiments that they get smaller. Well, what happens when you try to replicate that effect? Does the (laughs) decline effect decline? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question. (laughs) Maybe we could just get rid of the decline effect by studying it. (laughs) (laughs) But then, if you were to study the decline of the decline effect, then it would undecline <laughs> and it would come back do you see what i'm saying i see what you're saying you're just stuck forever in the great seesaw of the universe we should thank our uh, our friends at on the media on the media is a show that analyzes you know the media as i'm sure you know and it's an amazing show i mean it's an amazing show uh brooke and bob who host the show are are funny hysterically funny and brilliantly smart and it's the kind of show that it's just kind of essential it's one of those shows I could not recommend it more. Onthemedia.org. 
all one word, onthemedia.org. Check it out. They're going to do an entire hour on the subject of data, uh, and we have sort of snuck this issue that we've just talked about into the middle of that show. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it's the same thing, but in a very different context. You can you can go to their podcast on Friday the 13th of May, and there it and we shall be. Until it and we decline. Yep. Into oblivion. I'm Jad Abumran. I was and will continue to be, I hope. For the moment. Robert Grillwich. Bye. Hi, this is Colin Von Heering. I'm a Radio Lab listener from Portland, Oregon. Radiolab is supported in part by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science and technology in the modern world. More information about Sloan at www.sloan.org. End of message. I'm Ira Flato, host of Science Friday. For over 30 years, our team has been reporting high-quality news about science, technology, and medicine. News you won't get anywhere else. And now that political news is 24-7, our audience is turning to us to know about the really important stuff in their lives. Cancer, climate change, genetic engineering, childhood diseases. Our sponsors know the value of science and health news. For more sponsorship information, visit sponsorship.wnyc.org.